I think it was in March, maybe April, First Church has a scheduled power outage. Of course, we didn't hear about the scheduled power outage. I just showed up and there was no power, but that's all right. Um, we had a scheduled power outage because there was a power pole in the alley right back there that was getting exchanged. We were getting a brand new one. By we, I mean apparently the neighborhood. Uh, so during that morning when we had no power, at some point I wandered back to the drinking fountain. I got a drink and I stuck my, my face off the, the door back there, the window, to kind of watch what was happening. And I, I came at just the right time because there was a pickup truck with a Vista on it with the big old power pole strapped to the top. Like, those things are big, right? So it's strapped to the top, and, and I got there just in time to see it doing like a 27-point turnabout to try and get it to the exact right angle to back into the alley so as to not hit anything else as it was backing up to place it where it was supposed to go. And all I could, I could see the guy in the truck looking in his rear view, looking in the side view, kind of turning over, looking back, and right when he thought he had the exact angle, he gave it enough gas to get up the slight incline and... Stuck the power pole right into the brand new garage with the brand new siding. What are you laughing at? It's not funny. (laughs) If you go out there today, you're going to see there's still damage. It's not much, but there's still damage. And my guess is that 98% of you won't remember another word of what I say, but you're you're going to go out and look for the damage when we leave. On the day it happened, in fact, about later that afternoon, being the good neighbor that I am, I went over and I knocked on the neighbor's doors and said, hey, and in case you didn't know, they ran a power pole into your garage. And like every good American, when something bad happens, I got out of my phone and recorded it. So I have evidence. They're like, oh, that's no problem. They already came and talked to us. We, we know about it. They said they'd fix it. My left scratching my head. It's like they already forgiven them for the damage they had done. It was a brand new garage, brand new siding. I still shake my head every morning when I drive by. Like eight months later, I'm frustrated for them. I want vengeance. Like I want retribution. I, I want the, the people who did the damage to fix it. Maybe I should let it go. Or maybe I should just pray. Yeah? Let's pray. God, it's good to be in your house. It's good to be, whether we're live in person or watching online, participating online, it's good to be as a gathered community worshiping you. Lord, that's where our hearts are this morning. We want to we wanna come before you in your presence, recognize how good, how holy, how majestic you are, and we want to leave having worshiped you. So help us to do that as we've already done in song, in community, in prayer, in silence, in confession. Help us to worship in word as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in a sermon series called Offensive Christianity. Who's in? Who's out? I think we're in week three or so of this. We are slowly making our way through the life story of Jesus as told by the gospel writer Mark. And we are stopping as we go along to see who Jesus lets in. Now by in, I mean who he says, hey, follow me. Hey, come do a little life with me. Whether it's a few minutes, a few days, a few weeks or years, he says, I see you. I truly see you. I love you. You are welcome with me. That's what we're looking at. And so far, we've made it all of through chapter one. All right, we've seen uh, Jesus invite in the crazy dude in the desert. 
uh, four fishermen who were really quick to just up and leave the family business and quit their jobs. We saw Jesus welcome in a mother-in-law, lines and lines of contagious people. We saw him welcome in his father. And then we also saw him welcome in a guy with leprosy. You know, a disease that was very scary, a lot unknown, didn't know a healing back then. Jesus let all those people in. And today we jump into Mark chapter 2. If you haven't got there, grab your Bibles, whether paper or digital. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a maroon copy under the seat. Or if you just want to listen, that's fine as well. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. So what we're seeing here is Jesus' ministry tour has already taken him to a lot of places. It started out in the desert getting baptized. It came back into the city to Capernaum, chapter 1, verse 21. And then it went back out to the wilderness and then many other towns and villages. And Jesus is now back in the city, back in Capernaum. Now all along, Jesus' popularity has been growing Crowds form everywhere he goes. He's a rock star. He's a celebrity. He's somebody like an instant success. Everybody wants to see him, and this is no different. Today's text says Jesus is back in a house in Capernaum, and the crowds have gathered so much that there's no room inside, no room outside. Even the overflow room upstairs with the live stream is packed, and nobody can get in there. And then this happens. While he was preaching God's word, he does that a lot, doesn't he? That's a good thing. Isn't it, Tommy? While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. There's about 20 sermons in that little passage. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon on this passage before. (laughs) Raise your hand if you're like, come on, James, just get to the end because I've heard this one before. Go ahead. (laughs) You guys aren't brave enough. (laughs) All right. Simple thumbs up, thumbs down. Did Jesus let the paralyzed man in? Ready, set, go. Oh, fooled you all. No. His friends let him in. They dug a hole in the roof. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Whose house is this? We don't know. Many people speculate that it was Peter's house where Jesus healed his mother-in-law because that was a house in Capernaum, right? And if it was Peter's house, think about what Peter was feeling and thinking and seeing as the dust started to fall from the ceiling. Right? And then the dust turns to dirt clods, and then dirt clods turn to dirt chunks, and then all of a sudden there's this mat that comes down from the ceiling with four guys looking in with guilty looks, but looks that are like, Jesus, do anything you can to help our friend. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. If it was Peter's house, if Jesus watched Peter's face change from pink to red to fuming, Was there a twinkle in Jesus' eye when Jesus says, hey, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. Now, the traditional understanding of this text I will get to about the man's sins 
equating to needing healing and paralytic and all that. But what if, what if Jesus was just forgiving this man's sin of breaking and entering? <laughs> Vandalism. They dug a hole in somebody's roof, right? Do you think that Jesus then like said, hey, I forgive you loud enough for everybody to hear, including Peter, so that Peter would be put in this tight spot of then forgiving the man also. What about this? I'd never thought of this before. But what if this was Jesus' house? You ever thought of that before? Anybody? Interesting take on it. Yes, uh, I realize that Jesus said that, you know, that... Uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no, head, no, no place to lay his house. And I realize that Jesus' family grew up in Nazareth and, and all that, but what if this was Jesus' house in Capernaum? You know, Jesus grew up in a home. His earthly daddy would have taken him out into the garage and taught him the family trade. And if Jesus' earthly father passed away early, leaving Mary a widow, then the house would have been passed not to her, but to the next man of the house which would have been Jesus, the oldest male child in the house. So if this was Jesus' house, did he have his cell phone out recording it so that he could show the homeowner's insurance that he didn't do it? Was he thinking to himself, come on, man, I'm about to leave on another ministry tour and I have to fix my mom's roof before I go so that it doesn't leak when it rains? Or did he genuinely, out of the depths of his heart, say, hey, my child, I forgive you. No worries. About four or five years ago, Abby and I put solar panels on our house, uh, trying to love the economy, not the economy. The economy was definitely loved through that process. The earth. Okay? Um, we, put, we put solar panels on, and the day they were installed, the, uh, the installers had to get up into our attic to connect all the wires from, from the solar panels coming through, and the crawl space into the attic is in the garage. So I let them up, and I'm standing in the garage, and I hear them kind of stomping around, connecting things. The next thing you know, I see a foot. (laughs) And then I see a shin. And then I see a leg. And then that disappears, and I see a face. Hey, don't worry about it. We'll have somebody out right away to get this taken care of. It'll be good as new. (laughs) Year and a half later, it still wasn't fixed. There may or may not have been a few less than Jesus-like phone calls or texts or emails that were sent. Um, eventually it was fixed, right? They brought somebody out in the middle of winter when drywalled mud can't dry, and they just put the old patch of drywall there and a whole bunch of mud. I'm not sure I'm fully over it, and that's been like five years. <laughs> the dust is still falling from potentially Jesus' house or Peter's house, And right there, Jesus is like, it's all right. I forgive you. My child, your sins are forgiven. I mean, in that time, the roof of a house was where people went to get away from other people. This is probably where Jesus took his morning tea to have quiet time with his father. And they just, these guys just destroyed one of his happy places. And yet, what did he say? You're forgiven. For what? Sin of breaking and entering? Sin of vandalism, the sin of interrupting another good sermon. This happens to Jesus a lot. How's that for Jesus letting somebody in? Now you notice what he called him. My child. 
which is very similar to what his father called him at his baptism. This is my dearly beloved son. Could we stop there this morning? We could. Yeah. And I could tell you that uh, that's the whole point of the message. But then those who have heard this sermon before, who raised your hand, which was just about everybody, would say, but there's a second half to that story where Jesus finally keeps people out. We've been trying to get to that point, James. Let's keep going. I heard that one person who thought that, that we wanted to keep going. Nathan, thank you. (laughs) Verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Some of the teachers of the law, the scribes, the interpreters of the law, the preservers of the law, the copiers of the law, which they were needed because literacy rates there were pretty low. So these guys taught the law. They were the theologians. They were the guardians of tradition. Bottom line, they were very important people. And we'll cross paths with them several times in the story of Mark. But they were important people in society, in faith, in tradition. In fact, when they arrived at that house, that the paralytic man couldn't get through because the crowds were so like big, the sea of crowds would have parted for them to walk in and get a front row seat. Like front row seat where Miss Marlene sits right in the spray zone of Jesus, not me. I'm not saying I'm Jesus. Just, okay? But they would have been front row right there. And they show up. And they're probably still trying to get the dust off their robes from it falling from the ceiling. And the scribes are about to lose their mind. Who does Jesus think he is? What's his credentials? Blasphemy. This carpenter can't say these sort of things. This is blasphemy. Now, we've already covered this in the last couple of weeks a little bit. But as a reminder, or if you're new, or if you haven't listened in the last couple of weeks, all which could be the case, okay, In those days, when bad things happened, it was seen as punishment for sin. So the the scribes would have seen this guy paralyzed as being punished for sin. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament man of sorrows named Job, he lost everything, lost his his family, lost all of his, uh, his cattle, his houses and everything. And one of his friends, like three friends showed up, and one of them, early on in the conversation, essentially says, dude, what did you do? Is Job 4, verse 7. Stop and think, Job. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? I mean, essentially, Job is saying, um, God's got to be mad at your family, and he's probably mad at you. So, as the paralytic was lowered down from the ceiling, the scribes are probably thinking to themselves, What did this guy do? Because God's got to be mad at him. And then Jesus goes and he rocks their world, blows their mind. Sets off the, the short fuse in their, in their head, offering forgiveness of sin. The scribes missed the, my child, welcome to the kingdom of God, that I'm, I'm throwing the doors wide open for you. All they heard was something that they thought was not true and accurate and couldn't be the case because only God can forgive sins. They've known that. They've read that. They've studied that. They've been taught that. They have taught others that. And friends, we can't fault them for missing the point. Catch this. How many of us have grown up in a faith being taught specific things and all of a sudden, like these days, some things start, 
you know, there's questions of, is, is that the way it really is? And, oh, we want to hold fast and firm to everything we've always believed. These guys have always been told that only God can forgive sins. When Solomon prayed that prayer of dedication over the temple, and God responded, we know this verse, uh, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sins. This is God saying, I will forgive their sins. Solomon's dad said in Psalm 103, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does. He forgives all my sins. King Hezekiah had a near-death experience. When God healed him, what was his response? Yes, this anguish was, good, anguish was good for me. For you, God, have rescued me from death and forgiven all my sins. You're getting the point, yeah? Only God can forgive sins. This was blasphemy 101. It really was. I mean, by forgiving sins, uh, you're taking the place of God. You're saying that you are equivalent with God. Did you notice during our confession of faith at the end of it, I very purposely said your sins have been forgiven by God? I didn't want to make the same mistake Jesus made. So what happens next? Some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. A couple things in here. These front row scribes, these teachers of religious law, they get more than they bargained for when they came to see this new Galilean celebrity. Jesus forgiving sins, so they start to grumble. They start to grumble, and and the text says they were saying to themselves, they thought to themselves. So were they thinking it, and Jesus then read his mind? Or since they were front row, were they whispering to each other in a ways that maybe has happened once or twice here in the last 17 years where you know somebody whispers to their neighbor, but their neighbor's uh, hearing aid isn't turned up, so they whisper loud enough for everybody to hear? Ginny and Donna, they're both with Jesus now, but they were good at that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay, I won't talk to them. Was Jesus just hearing what they said, or did he know what they were thinking? I don't think it matters. Verse 8, it says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them. The interactions between Jesus and the scribes in the Gospel of Mark, I think there's 12 or 13 of them, are all but once negative. Did Jesus stand up in front of everybody and say to them, but loud enough for everybody to hear, why do you question this in your hearts? Or did Jesus speak directly to them? Look in the words of red, if your Bible isn't uh, red, what is that, red letter? Yeah. Who did Jesus 
talk to. It says, uh, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked, go ahead and say it, them. Them. So he asked them. Let's assume that the scribes' grumbling was internal, and let's assume that Jesus spoke to them, not to the crowd. In fact, what if, in order to save the scribes' face, in order to keep their place in community for at least a little while longer, what if Jesus actually leaned in and whispered to them? I'd never thought of this before this past week. What if it was, hey guys, why do you question in your hearts? Is it easier for for me to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, take up your mat, and walk? I'm I'm going to show you my credentials here in just a second. I think Jesus was talking directly to them. I do. And I think that's very intimate to lean forward and whisper. Because when you lean forward and whisper to somebody, I could hold that for a long time, but people are going to start squirming because that's awkward. Right? There's an intimacy in that. I think what Jesus was doing was inviting them in. I think by this kind answer to them, he was saying, you may not agree with me, but I want you to experience the same kingdom of God that I'm, that I, that I'm inviting other people into. I think he was saying that directly to them because the next part in the text says, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man. And said, get up, take up your mat, and walk. So again, if he's right here, and then he turns to the man. In fact, I started to wonder, did anybody else in the room even know what had happened? Let's, just, let's be candid, okay? Somebody tears a hole in this ceiling and lowers a mat. There's going to be some grumbling. There's going to be some, did you see that? Oh my goodness, how are we going to pay for this? What? And in the midst of all that, what if Jesus leans forward whispers something to the scribes, turns around, says something to the man. Nobody knows what's going on except all of a sudden this man who was lowered gets up, picks up his mat, and walks out. There's no wonder the crowd is stunned. What just happened? Jesus invited him in. I'm not going to say they accepted that invitation, but Jesus invited them in. I realize that some of what I'm sharing this morning you could see as speculation. I realize that. We don't know if it was Jesus' house or Peter's house or somebody else's house. We don't know if Jesus could read minds or if he could just hear whispers. We don't know if he spoke loud enough for the scribes to hear or for the entire room to hear. So far in the story of Mark, I have not seen Jesus keep anybody out. So why would this change today? In this text. Huh. What if Jesus really wanted to invite the scribes in to experience the kingdom now? That's something to ponder. Like we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to think through who might these people be today? All right? Who are the friends with faith? Who's the paralyzed man that gets let down in front of Jesus? Five guys who did some damage to a local house, yet Jesus let them in. Who are the, well, let's just not call them vandals and breaking and entering people, but maybe who are the interruptions? 
in your life? Who are the uninvited people who just stop by? Who's the person who invades your space? And the other group, the religious elite. The guys who thought they knew everything there was to know about God. Everything there was to know about faith. Everything there was to know about religion. Guys who missed the joy of the man's life being restored to him. Guys who missed what God was doing in their midst because they were convinced that they knew it all. Know anybody like that? I do. And I tend to stay away from them. But I wonder if Jesus is saying to me, it's time to lean in because I invited them in. I think you could do the same thing. This week, I want you to look for these people. That's all I've been having you do the last couple of weeks because we're learning to look with Jesus' eyes. But I'm going to take it to another step, another level this week. When you see these people, when you experience these people, when you rub shoulders with these people, smile, okay? And then pray for them. Knowing that the God who loves you unconditionally also loves them unconditionally. Amen? Let me pray. God, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying this story of you. I'm thoroughly enjoying seeing how you let everybody in. How you invited them to experience a kingdom with you. So far, Jesus, we haven't seen you uh, keep people out. I ask that this week... As we are going through life, we would look for the people who might be the uninvited, the ones who just drop in, the ones who maybe we would see as the breaking and entering. And I ask that you'd help us to love them. I ask, Lord, that you'd help us to uh, see those who think they have it all figured out about life, about faith, about religion. And I ask that you'd help us approach them with humility. Loving them, knowing that you love them unconditionally. We want to see with your eyes, Jesus. We absolutely do. But we need your help. So we ask for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.